0: From Atlanta, where six million people said, to hell with the speed limit, it's the Whole World Improv Theater podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts artistic director Chip Powell, and a man who's quitting smoking for the fifth time this month, John Mihalek! Woo! Ow! Ow! Good John. Good John. Good John job. Oh, Lord.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast. My name's John Mihalik, and I am joined by my co-host, the artistic director of Whole World Improv Theater, Mr. Chip Powell. Hey Chip. Hey, John. I'm really excited to continue our education right now, mm-hmm. and I do believe we have a legend. We have a legend. Robert Lowe has been doing improv in Atlanta for a long time. I wasn't aware of Robert Lowe until some years ago when we were doing something called The Ark, and he was actually doing a documentary at the time, so... It all came together, and we got to know each other and learn a lot about each other, and I thought, what a great source for education than Robert Lowe. And if you Google Robert Lowe, Rob Lowe is going to come up first. So when you get to it, just go mindful improv.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, hello to both of you. I'm honored to be here. I love what you're doing. From sort of the description of of education of what this is about, the first thing is that I've been 41 years this year in improvisation, and I recently passed my 75th birthday, and I quit aging some years ago. I'm eldering. It's a much gentler way to treat oneself. I'm going to start altering. Yeah. yeah, Oh, it is. I used to go, oh, I can't do what I used to do. Well, sure. I don't need to do that. I've done that. (laughs) (laughs) Pardon me. I don't have to do that anymore. And besides, I have a 33-year-old son who can do those things for me. In my reflection, what I'm doing is I've been engaged in conscious aging for a number of years. I retired nine years ago and continued doing gigs and things for quite a little while. So, the origins of my improv actually, I discover or go back to my childhood. I grew up in a violent, gang run neighborhood in Southern California. The way to best describe it is the second ever Hells Angels gang was a block away from my house. And it was literally a gang run neighborhood. My parents' job was to get me out of that. Uh, Dad was an Air Force enlisted man. My mom, neither one of them had any kind of formal education, but they knew they wanted me out of that. And years later, as I got more into the improv, I discovered that being aware, of everything around was a life requirement. Well, I didn't know it. I was just a little kid. You just had to know. And how much you put out there of yourself. If you were too tough, you could be in trouble because there could be a gang in front of you. If you were too weak, you could really be in trouble because people would pick on you. So there was this fine line of walking, of being a member of the community, a strong enough member of the community, yet not overpowering member of the activity. And that translates directly. The second thing came from uh, one of my books is called Happy Vern Day Birthcocks, uh, a man, a quadriplegic man in a wheelchair. I lived in and around communes for about 10 years in the 1970s. And Vernon, little tiny, shriveled man, had partial use of one hand. And somebody could break his hand if they grabbed hold of it too tight. And you know, the one hand, he'd get it up. And, you know, they, if somebody squeezed too, if somebody fell on him. So an entire awareness of being so completely in the current moment absolutely in the current moment, became part of the life of everybody in this community in Northern California, north of San Francisco over the Golden Gate Bridge. In the process of that, I came up and I just recently listened to uh, Hal Peller's uh, interview with you guys. Very nice. Oh, enjoyed. Yeah, Hal's a great friend. Uh, we've known each other through the Applied Improvisation Network. I appreciated his shout out. Actually, we met in Atlanta. We'd been at a couple of other things together and didn't really meet. Being in the current moment, There's this thing about improv that came up about rules. There's two things I want to mention here. One is yes and, and the other are rules. When I wrote my first book, which, by the way, is uh, Improvisation Incorporated, the original book with this funny subtitle of Harnessing Spontaneity to Engage People in Groups, came out in 2000, and people didn't know really what was improv unless they were in New York or Chicago or part of the community in LA. I was trying to figure out, you know, what do I call my baseline? And my baseline, I started to call them axioms. What were the axioms of improvisation? And there are these. The first one is to be totally continually working on being in the current moment. And that's so obvious in many ways. Even deeper than that, marathon runner, current moment, jet pilot, current moment, new mother, current moment. I love a thing that George Carlin did. He said, that current moment is so fleeting. He was on stage early in his career and he says, "Oh, oh, oh, there's a moment coming it's coming it's on its way here oh it's almost here it's near here oh, oh there it goes there it goes and that's what we're dealing with so my first axiom to be totally and completely keep working to be playing to be because we discover that time is malleable as you guys know on the stage mm-hmm. time is malleable and you know everybody knows that when you're having a great time time just goes zoom zoom and when it's a terrible time it goes uh, uh. but what happens when you get into the current moment that current moment begins to expand and it allows for the callback. And it allows for somebody to bring something happen a little bit ago without writing about what's going to happen in the future, without writing in their head, oh, I can make it go this way or do that. So that kind of current moment. The second one has to do, and Hal brought this up, with honesty, being honest with yourself. Totally and completely honest. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Oh, I'm here. I'm terrified inside, but I'm going to be like this. No, you're someplace else when, when you're doing that. So to be totally honest, I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. Oh, that can be such a wonderful bit on the stage, just to suddenly be yourself and be afraid. Everybody in the audience, most of the people are out there going, wow, I couldn't, I I just, I couldn't do that over the years more and more and more. I, I would just be so afraid. And you see somebody on stage, go through it and be in it and it's real. So totally honest with yourself. The third axiom was to be totally honest with another That's a deep psychological thing. The Catholic Church has confession, right? So you have somebody you can be totally honest with about your life, right? Well, in the improv, totally honest with the players. When I get up on a stage, when I get people up on a stage, and this is part of the teaching that I've done for many, many years, you get on a stage. My base rule is if I've ever heard it before, thought it before, seen it before, somebody else told me about it before, it's not improv and I can't use it as improv. There's many things I can use in the improv that come from other places that pop into my head and the like. But if I heard it before and it was funny, I thought of it. I thought of it in the life. Oh, no, I I, got to be completely honest. And I'm improvising. I'm not trying to shine. I'm not trying to be the best on the stage. I'm not trying to prove. I'm not trying to get the guy or the girl or somebody. I'm not trying to influence the audience. No, I'm just completely. And that's what I'm doing. I came here to be. In the improv, in the impro. And the last thing is to put it out for public view. You find it deep inside yourself and it's great, whatever it is. If it's not out there for public, you never get feedback. So you never know. And feedback is what we get from the stage. It's the audience, but it's different in improv. In traditional theater, feedback is the applause and the laughter and the new people coming to the next show. In the improv, the feedback is when they also enter into the improv with us. They enter into the state of being here, being honest with themselves, being honest with another, and they're putting it out there as well. And when they put it out, it's what we get as the feedback, whether it's laughter or joyousness, or I think Hal might have mentioned something like that. Some of the things I've seen done in the improv, deeply, no fun, no funny in it, but deeply touching, standing ovation because people love the honesty. So those are the four axioms.
0: You've been listening to people talk about improv, so why not try it yourself? Whole World Improv Theater has in person improv classes for beginners and seasoned actors alike. No prior experience is needed. Our class program is eight weeks long and full of people just like you who want to learn and have a lot of fun. Just check out our website to learn more or sign up. The website is WholeWorldTheater.com, and that's theater with an R E at the end because we're fancy. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, where beautiful people bring you the arts while surrounded by singing birds and fairies. They must have us mistaken for something like Shakespeare in the Park. Or the vagina monologues. Vagina.
1: Talk to us a little bit about, you know, we talked to Hal, and I love that a picture of you and Hal just came into my newsfeed, um, oh. which was fantastic because like, we just went from, we did Amanda Roundtree and we did Whole World, but then we oh. argued with you, but it was just so funny to see it all come together. Oh, you're a guy walking down the street, and then what makes you go to improv? When and how do you start? Where is it? And how do you bring it to Atlanta?
2: Well, let me do one more underlying thing and I'll get to that and, and where that came from. So I'd left Northern California in a terrible time of my life and I found myself in San Diego and I was looking for something to do. And there was a thing called a dance jam. Come dance to your heart's content in a smoke-free atmosphere. And I went, oh, that sounds interesting. You know, uh, that's, that's, that's dance. Yeah. In the the 70s. Wait a
1: minute.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that a thing? yeah so i go there and i find and it's a funny story of how it ended up there walk into the place where it's going on and what it is is this woman who is an improv dance teacher she'd learned from a man named merce cunningham uh who had learned from martha graham so there's this ancient dance form that's there this thing called contact improv that is not the same thing it's a different they developed at the same time and i walk these Hmm? days yeah (laughs) <laughs> so I walk in this place and up these stairs and into this place and it's this big studio and people are dancing all, like they're in their living room you know just dancing around individuals and then there's a couple couples dancing but over here there's three or four people and over here five people dancing together moving together into the music and the teacher was wonderful she was a movement therapist as a matter of fact and all kinds of music there'd be Chinese music one moment and then what country western and opera you know she's every kind of music going on and I fell into this, and because of my dance background and my Aikido background, which also comes into this, which has to do with, with some of my teaching, I just simply fell in love with it. About a month or two into doing this, this beautiful woman, Sharon Silverglade, was her name, and she's the one who said, hey, you ought to come see us do this improv comedy. I had never heard of improv comedy. I knew the name Second City, but I didn't know what it was, and I'd never seen or heard of improv comedy in any way. Sharon's part of the background. She would run up to me. She'd throw her arms around me and hug me. And she'd go, oh, I just love to smell you. You can't hold anything back. (laughs) Because you were in communes, right? This is stuff. No, 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 this was just at the dance jam in San Diego. (laughs) "Ah," Yes, well, exactly. Gotcha. And that's fundamental to how we need to be on the stage. I can't hold anything back. Mm-hmm. If I'm in the current moment, if I'm being honest, and etc., I can't hold anything back. And if I'm not holding anything back, people trust you. Animals trust you. Kittens, children trust you because you're not, you know, people are going, who are you? What are you doing? Oh, I don't have to worry about what you're doing. You're here. You're you. Oh, okay. I went to my first improv show, man named Don Victor. <laughs> it's where, this is a funny story. It's where I learned my improv, my timing, my comedy timing. Don Victor uh, had been a member of a team called Victor and Goldberg doing stand-up comedy. Uh, and he just gave that up and started to do full-time improv. He'd been to Second City. Now remember, this is 40, some 45 years ago, right? So, And uh, the Goldberg part was Whoopi Goldberg. And he broke up with Whoopi just before she went to HB. I don't know. It sounds like he missed out. I mean, you <laughs> <laughs> right. He just... So like I said, that's where I learned my comedy timing. So I'm in San Diego, and I saw this. And a couple of weeks later, I went and saw another show. And I was floored, literally floored. I'd been an educator, a teacher, a Navy officer, student body, all kinds. I started teaching when I was a kid, uh, Boy Scouts and church and various things. And I had never seen the kind of development that happened in a, a show a workshop and a show. The individuals and the ensemble had grown more than in any format I had ever seen in my life. I went running up to Don and I said, where, how do I, how do I do this? He says, well, wait, we've got these workshops on Wednesdays. And that moment changed my life. And that's what happened to the improv. I got headhunted to Atlanta. A company hired me. They brought me out here. I eventually became a vice president of a financial services company. And when I got here, I expected to find Aikido, which I may, if we have time, I'll mention why that fits in. And uh, I expected to find improv. And there was none. This was in 1983. I got here. Late 83, I did my first ever improv workshop in my home with four people. I had 15 games and Viola Spolin's book. And I I didn't know if I could do this. I'd been playing for three years and having the greatest time, both dance and comedy. I tried it and it seemed to work. So in 1984, I did the first workshop. It was an open workshop. The school is no longer there, but it had rooms and a stage and and the like. First of all, what happened was I, I wrote to every theater I wrote to, I hand wrote to every theater in Atlanta and said, hey, I'm this crazy guy from California. Come to a free workshop. Cost me $25 for the room. I put a glass jar up in the front of the room and said, hey, anybody wants to put a buck in, uh, you know, I would appreciate that. And I ended up, you know, usually getting $10, $15. So it only cost me $10 or $15 to rent the place. (laughs) 18 people showed up the first night. Included in those people were Mark Farley and Keith Hooker. Um, If you know, you know Mark, I think, Mm -hmm. from Laughing Matters, and Keith Hooker was early Laughing Matters. Mm -hmm. Um, It just kept growing and growing and growing. And then in January or in December of 1984, we did the first improv show and we didn't know what was going to happen. This all leads up to how do you get people? How do you bring people to the process itself? We put word out on the various kinds of ways. Mostly what we did was we hand wrote invitations to people, which just impressed people to no end. Uh, wasn't automatic email wasn't a big thing for you. you know, yeah, I don't think email was around. Email was not around, you know. Uh, but but handwriting everything, you know, nothing typed, kinds of stuff. All the millennials, just, in the audience are going back. That, that's a thing. That, that could be done. That's if, a thing, right? Exactly, right? How do you handwrite? What do you? What, what do you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what happened was the night, and I'll get to the next thing of this. The, the night of the first show, I always I meditate. The four principles, the four axioms that I utilize, I believe are true for virtually every philosophical system that exists. Those four tenets are out there somewhere or another, right? And I'm a meditator, you know, so I always meditate before classes, I would meditate before a show. So we're at the theater and uh, we don't know what to expect. It's the first night, right? So I disappear for 15, 20 minutes, right? You so know, do my meditation, and I come back on the stage from from the off stage. And the players, it's so funny because the players are lined up on either side of the curtain, sort of heads on top of one another, looking out as the audience fills. 210 people showed up to the very first show. We had to turn 50 people away, and nobody knew uh, what was going to happen. Now I knew what was going to happen. I knew who was going to play, what games they were going to play, and who were going to play them. But they did not know. I did not want anybody thinking, okay, i got to do this or that or the other. So that's been primary in my teaching. I have never prepared as such for a specific improv workshop, set, or show.
1: You know, I hated to have to stop here at this point in the conversation, but we had to trim this for time. Next episode, we're going to pick up right where we left off with Robert Lowe.
0: Until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the whole world improv theater podcast, a podcast that marches to its own poorly timed beat. The whole world improv podcast is a production of whole world improv theater in association with headspace industries, the executive producer writer and commissioner of the major league improv is Jip Powell. The producer writer and Lord of audio editing is John Halleck. I guess now that John is main stage, he wants fancier credits. Get so big in the head, John, just blow up. I'm just gonna be filled with helium and float into the stratosphere. You know what I'm gonna do, John? Then I'm gonna come right up there in my little uh, what's they, what were them, with those those things called, hot air balloon. I'm gonna come up with a little poker, a little tiny little sewing needle poker, and I'm gonna pop your big old head down till you float down to the ground and nothing but a little shards of little pieces of your head. Original music by the Gentle Readers and our social media maven is Bethany Rowe. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. Trust me, John needs to find more friends. Friends are overrated. John. Human friends are overrated. I've made some duck friends. I have some ducks down at the pond. I'm going to make it a habit to go there every day to feed their food is kind of limited. Their popcorn's not good for them. Bread's not good for them. Pretty much the only thing that's approved are seeds. That's pretty boring. They don't like that. They want Cheetos puffs. Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it is tax deductible. Save that cash now and buy the full-size candy bars for Halloween. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo, and I am the basic of basic bitches, and I love Halloween and I love pumpkins and love pumpkin spice lattes and I love watching dogs in Halloween costumes and I'm not gonna apologize for it. You know society's kind of trying to make us basic bitches feel really bad about that and I'm not gonna apologize because pumpkins are all I have in this life anymore and dogs in costumes preferably. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Love you.
2: John, we've crossed paths, but we've never really talked, I think. Uh, yeah, we've met here at the theater, I think. Right, briefly. exactly. And of course, Chip is one of the greats. So what, what can I say? I'll see if I can embarrass him. <laughs> please. That would not <laughs> probably be hard. Uh, please. I can do anything in post. You know, I can make sure we, well, I can even do a video you... <laughs> of you. Of, of the particular point at which. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love this guy. We don't mind
1: it.